Don't know much about him. Who was he? Who is he? We, we've got to work from the description that we have here. What can we learn about Simeon? Basic character description. Righteous. He was a righteous man. He was a just man. He was devout. Devoted. Disciplined in his love. One thing we should ask ourselves is, do we get a positive flavor of Simeon from this basic description, or do you come away with a negative? We're going to read about another character in a few minutes in Matthew 2, famous key player in the Bible story, Herod. When I read about Herod, the flavor that you receive when you read words, uh, descriptive words or adjectives to describe Herod, you will come away with a very different, as a stark contrast, you'll feel very different about Herod than you feel, right, about Simeon. We don't know much about him, but you do get a certain feel. He seems like a good guy. And I think we should take the scriptures here at their word. When it, when it says righteous and devout, some of us might think religious and legalistic. Don't think that way. He's, good, he's a good guy. And the Bible paints him as, as a good guy. It says he was waiting. So he's a, he's a man that's waiting. We learn that. That's a descriptive category. He's waiting. The Holy Spirit's upon him. He's always listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always speaking to him. He came to the temple that morning, it says, in the Spirit. I, I, I hope that people, when they describe me, and I, I don't think they would, but I wish that people would describe me that much, like the Spirit, that much. Like We don't know much about Simeon at all, but what we do know is that he was walking close with God because the Spirit was always speaking to him, directing him, leading him, and when he showed up to the temple that day, he came in the Spirit. I don't know if anybody's ever said that. Man, when Kenny showed up to missional community, he came in the Spirit. I don't know if many people say that about you. They came in the Spirit. Oftentimes, we think if someone comes in the Spirit, they're a little off a little bit. You know, they're a little weird. They're the weird one. We, we let them sit over there in the missional community because they're coming in the Spirit all the time. It's not that way. It's not that way, church. Coming in the Spirit is a great thing to have said about you, and it's not an odd thing to have said about you. In fact, coming in the Spirit, I wish would categorize and characterize more of us when we show up every morning to work, to, to our jobs, to our neighbors, to our families, to our dinner settings, to, to, to our missional communities, to Sunday morning. I'm going to try to come showing up more in the Spirit. Would you join me? He took Jesus. We're talking about descriptive characteristics of Simeon. It says he took Jesus out of Mary's hands and he held him and then he blessed him and he blessed Jesus and he prayed and he praised this very vivid, powerful prayer of blessing over them. But then he also turns and blesses Mary and Joseph and poor Mary. I mean, did you catch what, what he said to her? 
I mean, can I just, can Mary just get only something joyful said to her? Why does she have to get the parent parentheses? I mean, Simeon says some amazing things about this child. My eyes have seen the God's salvation. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, for everyone, for the whole world. Here he is. Glory to your people. And it says Joseph and Mary marveled over everything that was said about him. This kid just keeps surprising them. Surprise after surprise after surprise. He's anointed for the fall and rising of many, and then a sign that's going to be opposed. But Simeon, could you hold off on the opposition? It's Christmas. Hold the opposition for the new year. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. If somebody shows up in the spirit to missional community and says a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that's going to be a memorable night. <laughs> Keep your soul piercings to yourself, Simeon. So we get this description of Simeon. It says he's waiting for something. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for salvation. Waiting for the salvation, Israel, God's people. He's waiting for salvation. The scripture tells us that, that the Holy Spirit had told him that he wouldn't die until he had seen the salvation, the Messiah, the Emmanuel, the one who would come to save God's people. And so he takes Jesus in his arms, and as soon as he holds him, he says, I, I've seen it. Now I can go, and now I can die, because I've, I've seen God's salvation. Now salvation. What is salvation? What are you looking to be saved from? Salvation has as many ideas as there are people in this room and listening online. Salvation has as many ideas as there are people in Downingtown. People are looking for salvation for all kinds of things. I want to be saved from this addiction. I want to be saved out of this relationship. I want to be saved out of this dead-end job. I want to be saved from the debt that I'm in. I want to be saved from this sorrow that I feel. I want to be saved from the pain of the choices I've made. I want to be saved from the pain of the choices that you've made. Salvation. What are you looking to be saved from? He's waiting. He's chasing after. He's running after the salvation that God is going to provide. What are you chasing after? What are you running after? What do you need salvation from? 
What is your salvation? What's my salvation? Christmas is telling us all about a salvation that we desperately need. Christmas is telling us all about how God sent Jesus to save us. And, and that's joyful to some people, and, it's, and some people are indifferent to it. It, it. He says that, right? It's going to be the rise of some and the falling of some. Jesus The rising of some, Jesus is going to cause the rising of some and the falling of some. Actually, what Simeon said is Jesus is going to cause the rising of many and the falling of many. So not just some, but many. Jesus is going to cause some to rise and some to fall. His coming is going to result in some people stumbling over it and some people finding their greatest joy. In other words, you rise, you stand, you fall just as you receive Jesus. If you have received Jesus, you're on the rise. If you have not received Jesus, you're falling. It's a situation that can be remedied. Jesus is the is the orienting factor. Jesus is the isolated variable. If you have Jesus, you've been lifted up out of the brokenness of this world and and you've been saved from a, a, a punishment that was yours until in receiving Christ, he took that for you in your place so that you, in believing in his name, can enjoy life forever. Anybody with me? Is there anybody in here? Sometimes you got to say something. Like, I'm not trying to change who we are as a church, but even I will occasionally say, hmm. You know, like, you got to say something. This is, you are rising. If you are in Christ, if you have believed Christ, then you are part of the group of people that are rising as a result of Jesus. Does anybody feel that? Does anybody happy about that? Does that change your perspective on Christmas? Be sobered by this, though. Be sobered by this. If you have rejected Christ, if you have not turned to Christ, then you are described in this passage as one who is falling. The good news is you're here, so you're not dead yet. You can change. You can change. All you have to do is put your faith and hope in Jesus. I encourage you, if you have not done that, to do that right now and begin your rise. Who's with me? It says he was waiting for the consolation. He was waiting for the salvation of Israel. Do you know what Advent means? Anybody? Waiting. Waiting. Advent means waiting. He was waiting. He was waiting for the first Christmas. 
That's what he was waiting for. He was waiting to see God's salvation. God's plan, Christmas, is what, what the incarnation is, is God's first step in executing, not in thinking about, but in executing his plan of salvation for God's people. So, so God, the Son, takes the form of a man, comes as a baby, and lives a perfect, painful, sorrowful life, never sins though, and then dies on the cross in the place of his people, but doesn't stay dead. God actually rises him again, raises him again. The scripture says at the resurrection and now has ascended to the right hand of God where he rules and reigns as king forever and ever and ever. Whew. Simeon is waiting. It's an advent. He's waiting for the first Christmas. You and I, and maybe you're younger here and you're really excited about Christmas, or maybe you're older here and you're really excited about Christmas, but you're waiting for Christmas, but you're not waiting for Christmas the way Simeon was waiting for Christmas. We're not waiting for Christmas. Christmas is in the past. We are waiting, though. We're waiting for something else. We're waiting. Church, we are waiting every day, every hour. If you're in Christ, you're waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for the final advent. You're waiting for the advent that the scripture actually take, talks about a lot more than the first advent. Read your Bible. There's only small sections about the first advent over and over and over again. Though the New Testament writers talk about the final advent. Don't, aren't you accustomed with waiting? Don't you, don't you at times think, come Lord Jesus? This is, this is what we're waiting for, church. We're not stuck just, just waiting for Christmas. God has already sent Jesus. But Jesus is going to come again. And he's not coming in the way that he came before. He's not coming as a baby to be born in a dirty manger. He's coming as king. And every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. That's what we're waiting for. Are you ready for that day? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Somebody said, I'm ready. I'm ready too. We're waiting for our king. We're waiting for Jesus. Sometimes seeing pain makes you long for that day. Don't you ever wonder? I watched a movie last night, which I won't even like, recommend because it wasn't good, but Amy and I endured through it. We wanted to watch a Christmas movie last night. We watched it. We got all the way through it, talking a lot while it was going on. There was a scene in it. I love art. I love what was read today. I love creative expression. I love imagination. And, and even in this movie, which I would say was not very well done, there was a scene. <laughs> you feeling me, Trisha? It, there was a scene, though. Let me see if I can try to get you to feel it. It was a woman visiting her mom who has Alzheimer's at Christmas and for the last five years has not recognized her own daughter. She goes to visit her. Lying in the next room over is Charlie Boyd. And the way the camera portrayed Charlie Boyd, 
flat out on his bed, staring straight up to the ceiling. Tubes going into his nostrils. And every time she goes to visit her mother, she passes by Charlie Boyd's room. The only person who's ever in it is Charlie Boyd. And one of the nurses says that Charlie Boyd has never, ever had a visitor. Now, the point isn't why. The point was that even in a bad movie, the way the camera angle captured Charlie Boyd made me aware of the brokenness in this world. There's people dying. Alone. In hospital beds. He's still alive. He might not look it. He's still alive. And she walks in to that room, just puts her hand on his, and his eyes go right to hers. He's alive, he's feeling, but he lives in a broken and fallen world, and I'm waiting, church, are you waiting? I'm waiting for one day when Charlie Boyd and all the, everyone in Christ that's dealing with brokenness, that's dealing with pain, that's dealing with depression, that's dealing with sorrow, that one day, this is what we're waiting for, one day that will not be. People won't lay in their hospital beds alone dying. That every tear, the scripture says, Jesus is going to wipe. For all in Christ, we will be eternally, 100% happy. Oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to not live in a world where I have to see the Charlie Boyds. Christmas is always reminding us that even in the midst of pain, God's up to something good. God's always up to something good. Always up to something good. The scripture says that that the sword is going to pierce Mary's soul. You could look at a thousand sacred paintings. You could look at thousands and thousands of Christmas cards. And very few, well I'll say it this, and all of them will picture Mary with a smile on her face and a lily representing purity presented by the angel Gabriel. But why has no artist ever stained the whiteness of that lily with the red blood of a broken heart? The scripture tells us that the sword pierced through her own soul also. Can you imagine the pain that Mary felt at times? And it's not just now, the rejection she's experiencing now. How about raising Jesus? What a task. You you raise the Son of God and then you watch him rejected and, and crucified. The sword is going to pierce her heart. But it's not 
all depressing, right? Because even in the midst of her greatest pain, of our greatest pain, of our greatest grief, God is always up to something good. Do you think Mary is in lament right now? Do you think Mary is aware of the discouragement, the rejection, the sorrow? I tell you, she's not. She's with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. And she's waiting for us to join in the celebration of our Lord King Jesus forever and ever and ever. Christmas is telling us that even when things are going badly, God's up to something good. You experiencing a difficult day? You will. Experiencing a difficult moment? Are you distracted right now over something? God's up to something good. It, 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 that's what the, the, the Bible tells us over and over again, that he's going to do good, that he's good and loving. Are you waiting on him for something? Are you waiting and it hasn't come, to, it hasn't come about yet? You believe you've heard from the Lord, but, but, but it hasn't happened yet? Friends, God is always up to something good. That's what the scripture tells us. Christmas is telling you. That no matter how difficult life is, God's always up to something good. All right, let's move. What I, what I started out by saying was that the main theme of, of the sermon that would hold everything together is that there's a simple beauty for both our difficult days and our delightful days. So these days that we're describing, uh, there's some difficulty attached to them. And the difficulty is captured in Matthew's passage as well. So flip back to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2, I want to introduce you to another character. I'd love to find some tissue. I got something. Matthew chapter 2. I'm just going to, let me give you the context and then I'll read uh, verse 16. So uh, the story goes like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod, there were wise men who came to Jerusalem. These were not Jewish uh, wise men. They were probably astrologers. They were stargazers and had learned much from their observation of the stars. And they, they had seen a very bright star and they were were inquiring, they were researching, they were studying as to what this might be, and they have learned that, that a king has been born. Then so they came inquiring to the, to, to, to the uh, Jewish leadership of the time, where is he that's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star rise and we've come to worship him. Now Herod is the king and he's extremely troubled by this idea that there's another king that's been born. I'm king. Who's, he, who's this other king that's been born? And why would you worship him? Why wouldn't you worship me? And so he's a crafty king. And so he, he inquires of his scribes and chief priests and says, hey, where's the king of the Jews, this Christ, supposed to be born? And they say, well, the scriptures say that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod says, oh, Bethlehem. So he says to those wise men, hey, 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 come over here. I got, I got something for you. It says that this, this king you're talking about, whose, whose star has, has risen, is going to be found in Bethlehem. So what I want you to do is I want you to go on this mission, go to Bethlehem and 
searched diligently for this, this one born king, this, this baby born king of the Jews. And when you find him, bring me word too that I could come because I'm interested in worshiping him. Not. And, and the scripture goes on to tell us that they actually did go there. They actually do find Jesus. They bring their famous gifts that we see on the Christmas cards too, right? And, and, and then they're on their way back and they're directed in a dream. They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. This is just a little aside. This is not like the, this is not attached to, to, to the sermon in a significant way. But I do think it's interesting that they, they took off for Bethlehem, get warned in a dream. They see Jesus and go home a different way. This is true for everyone that has ever encountered Jesus or who has been saved by Jesus. Jesus, when you get saved, when you have an encounter with Jesus and you give your life to him, you go home another way. Your life has been forever altered. Your life has been forever changed. Does anybody hear me? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced Jesus in, in such a way that, man, my life will never be the same? That's evidence of having had a powerful encounter with Jesus, which is what these wise men had. I'm not listening anymore to the earthly kings I'm listening to my king. I'm not listening to Herod. I'm listening to the one to the real king. So, so then we hear this. There's this, uh, when they had departed, an angel appears to Joseph. They take off for Egypt. And then verse 16, let's read this together. You listen while I read. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. And you're not feeling that at all. You're not feeling it because if you were, you would shudder when you read that. Can you imagine a, a, a government mandate that resulted in every male two years and under being killed? Now, we know what it's like to experience mandates. <laughs> this doesn't compare to a mask mandate. mandates, no matter how you feel about them, this one is bad. Where was I? According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then, then what was fulfilled, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. So this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This, 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 this thing taking place is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, God always wins in the end. 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. So, so go back to your homeland. They've been in Egypt. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, this is the second Herod, this is Herod Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Smart Joseph. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the, by the prophets, was spoken by the prophets, might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Here we see this simple truth being portrayed again. This is a simple beauty for difficult days when the world receives the best news it has ever received simultaneously one of the greatest infanticides of history takes place see the christmas cards i've never seen a christmas card depict this biblical reality I have never, I just don't think Hallmark would get much sales if they depicted the incredible infanticide that took place under Herod's reign as a result of Jesus being born King of the Jews. Who's with me? Just because there's misery doesn't mean that God's not up to something good. Just because there's misery doesn't mean that God is not up to something good. In our difficult days, Christmas gives us a simple beauty. And it reminds us that God is always up to something good. In your low moments, when all you see around you is discouraging or depressing, Christmas reminds you that God's up to something good in your life. God's on, God, the, the enemy, the flesh, the world, this fallen world is not going to get the end say. It, evil is not going to win. Jesus wins. That doesn't mean that we won't experience pain. There's women who refuse to be comforted because their children have been murdered. Their children are no more. That is in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. That means that the weeping they're enduring right now will end. It will end. And for those in Christ, there will be no more weeping. God is always up to something good, church. He's always up to something good. Christmas reminds us there's grace for your grief. There's grace for your grief. There's grace for the grief that you're experiencing right now. Christmas is telling you that there is grace even for that most difficult situation because God is always up to something good. What else do we learn here? Well, I think about the the Christmas hymn. Let every heart prepare him room, which is a poetic, clunky way of saying, 
let every heart make room for Jesus. But the scripture tells us that some people will make room for Jesus and some people won't. Which one are you? Will you make room for Jesus in your heart? Have you made room for Jesus in your heart? Herod had absolutely no room for Jesus. There's no room for Jesus in Herod's heart. It's not good news. Jesus' birth is not good news to Herod. It's good news to you. It's not good news to Herod. You've got a rival king. The birth of Jesus is not good news to anyone who is proud. Anyone who is a nar- narcissist. It's not good news to Herod. When power falls into the hands of evil men, it's always a corrupting power. When power falls into the hands, when God gives power to the godly, to the true King Jesus, we got nothing to worry about. Herod is a warning to every single one of us. He's a warning to everyone who will not make any room in their heart for Jesus. We talk about Christmas uncluttered. We're trying to be uncluttered so that why? Unclutter for something. Unclutter so that you have room for Jesus. You make room for Jesus and you see the simple beauty of Christmas. But make no mistake, though, don't make this mistake of thinking, man, I am nothing like Herod. I would never do anything like that. I, don't, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that you have made room in your heart for Jesus because you prayed a prayer. The Scripture doesn't leave room for that. Like, I, I prayed a prayer once. What, the, what, what Christmas is inviting you to do to make room for your heart in, for Jesus, that doesn't equate to a one-time decision. I can't just live my life any way I want to because of a decision I made in my neighbor's home at 12 years old to pray a prayer and then just go live however I want. No, making room in my heart for Jesus is every day. I make room in my heart for Jesus. In light of what you've done for me, I'm now living like this in response to your incredible mercy and your incredible grace. Newsflash. You're not in control of your life. You thought you are. You think you are. You thought you were. You're not in control of your life. So the question for us, if we really want to get real, is not, you know, well, I'm not like Herod, so I I put me in the category of following Jesus, check. No, the question is, where are you rejecting the lordship and authority of Jesus into your life? Where would you say, Jesus, I want you, I want, I want you to have like this entire section of my heart, but that section, and you know all about it, it's the, it's the section that I won't let you in, Lord. 
I have never let you in there, and I'm not letting you in there. And, and what, you're, what you're going to realize is you're not letting good King Jesus. You're not letting him. Jairus put that in his prayer, that Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts. He wants in to have fellowship with you, to be your friend, to help you, to comfort you, to get you through every, uh, all of life's challenges. But you're reserving that. That's the area of my life where I reign. And you're, you're not unlike Herod in that. Nobody feeling that. Nobody's saying anything. Is there room in your heart for Jesus? Does Jesus, as your good King and Savior, get full access to your heart? I tell you, you're you're in. For some incredible joy if you will endure the discomfort of opening that door. Marriages are going to change. Circumstances are going to change. People are going to change. Families are going to change if you will just let Jesus have all of you. That's what he's after. He wants your whole heart. Scripture says he's a jealous God. He wants all of you. Could he have all of you this Christmas? Are you making room in your heart for Jesus? I hope you are, church. Now there is one bright spot. There's one bright spot. The baby got away. God will arrange the circumstances so that evil never wins. God's arranging the circumstances so that evil will never have final say. Evil never wins. Because I'm trying to tell you guys that even in your difficult days, Christmas is reminding you what? That God is always up to something good. Now, let's just close with this. Let me get the band to return. Oh, all right. Let's, let's get to it here. In that passage in Matthew, it says that, thank you, it says that Joseph was warned in a dream, or, or that he, yeah, he was warned in a dream and didn't go back to his hometown. He actually went to Galilee in the city of Nazareth. And it's interesting because it says it's going to be uh, fulfilled by what was spoken of by the prophets. And then there's been a lot of speculation about Jesus being called a Nazarene. Was that a reference to Samson who took a Nazarite vow? And there's a lot of speculation about what, what this means. But let me, let me give this to you straight. Uh, Nazareth, I don't know what you think about Nazareth, but it's not what you think. Nazareth is not the city that we live in. Nazareth's zip code has low real estate value. Nazareth is the place that you get out of when you get a chance. When God chose to raise his child, this this is hard news for us in Chester County. He did not choose your neighborhood. He didn't. He chose the hood. 
Does that mean God doesn't love you? I never said that. What I'm saying is that when God chose the zip code, it didn't look a lot like what I see. This is what I see in Downingtown. If you are in Downingtown and you live in one of the Downingtown school districts, then this is what the data says. This is what the census data says, that the average median income of, of, of someone that lives in the Downingtown school district is $125,000 a year. Not everybody making that, I know. But that's what the data says. Where my parents live in Tinicum, Delaware County, the average median income is $42,000 a year. You do the math. The, 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 the kids there, 60, there's a 70% chance that the children in Tinicum are being raised in a single parent home. The, the heroin addiction is so bad down there in Delaware County that kids, kids that I coach their baseball teams, they don't even make it out of high school. They die on the swing set from bad heroin. What I'm saying is that if you line up Tinicum and Chester County, God chooses, God picks Tinicum to raise Jesus. Now, what's that mean for us? That's the kind of stuff that will make me cry. Because I see both. I see the pain and I see that God is up to something good. But here's, here's all I want to say because I've, I've, I've made a, a, a statement that this is a simple beauty for both difficult days and delightful days. But I didn't say much about delightful days. I said a lot. The scriptures tell us about difficult days. This is what I want to challenge us with, church, because for the most part, don't misunderstand me here, but for the most part, we're living in delightful days. You're not living in the description that I, I gave of Tenicum Township. It's very real. It's based on census data. That's not most of our experience. So how does Christmas speak to those of us who are living in delightful days? This is what you remind yourself. If you're experiencing a delightful day, you remind yourself that Christmas reminds me that all this goodness comes from God. On a difficult day, you remind yourself that God is up to, up to something good and you ask yourself this question, how can I trust him? On a delightful day, Christmas reminds me that all this goodness comes from God. How can I share in the generosity that he has blessed me with? You want to find joy at Christmas? If it's a difficult day, then remember God's up to something good and trust him. If it's a delightful day, then remind yourself that all this goodness comes from God. How could I be generous? How could I, how could I, how could I, since I'm not experiencing what a lot of people experience in Nazareth, how could I alleviate some of the brokenness and the suffering in the world in light of how good God has been to me? You got some application, church? I hope you have. I've tried my best. Simple beauty for both difficult days and delightful days. Let's worship the king.